Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. We're really thankful. It's it's a gift that y'all would be willing to give your time to be here this morning, whether you're here in person or online. It just we don't take it lightly, and it, it means a lot to us uh, that you would share this time with us. Uh, we've been going through a series on Deuteronomy, and actually next week is going to be our last week on our Deuteronomy series, and I hope you can make it for that. I think it's going to be, uh, I think uh, this one's going to be good too, but I'm especially excited about next week's. So there's many topics that if you were to go to a bookstore they would or a library, they would designate like a whole section for them. You know, there's different things you can think of. Nowadays, half of the library is probably, you know, self-help books, different things like that. But one big section that if you took probably just in like uh, this county or maybe a little beyond that, all the books on leadership and you tried to compile them, we probably wouldn't have enough space in this room for all the different people that have taken it upon themselves to write about what it means to be a leader. And all of us in here, probably, if I told you, I want you to picture a leader, if you closed your eyes and you thought about a leader, all of you are going to have some image in your head. You might think of a person, you might think of General Patton, or you might think of, you know, if you just close your eyes and I said you're a leader, for some of you, that person might have a certain look. Uh, might, be, might be a man, might be a woman. Might be someone that is attractive, maybe. Uh, Might be someone that looks really great in a very powerful suit. Might be someone that is wearing a uniform for a sports team. I can't tell you what your mind thinks of, but I can tell you that all of us, from the time we were little, have had opportunities to see what we think a leader is. And I would say, in our culture, where uh, self-promotion and being the best at stuff and getting stuff Fast, there are just even more conversations and classes and books you can read about. Well, if you want to get to the top, you've got to be a leader. And here's how you become a leader. All of these things, I some of them I'm cynical of, some of them I'm not, uh, some, of, some of them I like. I, I do think one thing that's maybe a little ironic, do y'all remember that sermon I did on mission? Or I started the sermon talking about places and businesses having a mission or a vision statement. And I, I kind of said, The thing that's tricky about a mission and a vision is it shouldn't necessarily be something that you have to sit down and think of. You know, a mission should be something that kind of develops organically. Does that make sense? Is that fair? That's kind of how I feel a little bit about leadership. If you're having to like teach someone how to be a leader, you've kind of missed it. Leadership is kind of something that I believe is fairly organic, right? You throw a bunch of men into a World War II trench, you're gonna know who the leaders are. Does that make sense? You know, it's gonna kind of happen fairly naturally. You have a Hurricane Harvey flood that happens in a city, you're gonna maybe find out organically who the leaders are. But one of the reasons why this topic is especially ironic or interesting is that Jesus surprisingly talks almost none about leadership. If you were to say, I'm going to open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I'm going to write down every time Jesus teaches about what it means to be a great leader, you will have a very blank piece of paper. You might only have something along the lines of, whoever wishes to be first will be last. And that's not something that's going to sell a lot of books in the leadership library, right? 
And further irony is that most churches, when they interview future preachers or where they consider who's going to be elders, usually they're very interested in asking questions about how good are you at leading, all with the eyes of the same questions you would ask a bank or a CEO of a company, or you usually ask those same questions. And yet, Jesus and God seem to have a very different view of what leadership is than most of the world. And often it's hard for us to understand those lines. And I get it. I'm, I'm just as guilty. I, I would never want to say to somebody, well, Jesus doesn't believe in leadership. I don't want to go that far. But I also want to say Jesus clearly doesn't talk about leadership in the way that most of us would say is very common or good or acceptable. And so today we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy this section. We're not going to read this whole section. I know everybody take a big sigh of relief. Like, oof. We're not going to read from this whole section, but I'm going to pick little passages from this section, and we're going to talk about Moses talking to the people of Israel about, here is what you need to look for in a leader. And to all the people of Israel who might be a leader someday, hey, this is how you need to act as a leader. And this is not for the purpose of this, but I think the timing is not too bad because at the end of this year, we'll be having uh, conversations about who we're going to choose to be the elders and deacons at our church for the next three years. So don't, this sermon isn't for that, but obviously it should be in the back of your mind maybe in a few months whenever we do that. So we need to ask ourselves the question because these passages, these, this three-chapter little window that we have here, give us insight into the duties, the character, and the goals of Israel's covenant leaders. And we need to ask ourselves, we're not the covenant people of Israel. We're not Jews that are about to enter into the promised land. But we are people that need to ask ourselves, what sort of leaders do we need? How are we going to select them? How are we going to affirm them and support them? And for those of you in here who might be asked to be a leader, you need to listen to this thinking from the mindset of what does it look like to serve as a leader, living out God's mission and vision for what a church community of faith leader ought to look like. So let's start with one leader uh, of the people of Israel, the judges. Judges were leaders in Israel that Moses is going to talk about. In chapter 16, starting in verse 18, he says, Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. I think you may be sitting here saying, Drew, this doesn't sound groundbreaking, this sounds obvious, but I'm going to try and tell you that this was groundbreaking. And it still is, sadly, groundbreaking in some places. For, especially in the ancient Near East, and as some of you may feel like even today, um, we see this insight that when leaders are, whenever they are willing to take a bribe, when they are willing to be coerced, no longer is the goal justice the goal has shifted does that make sense they have been influenced from here is what is the good righteous thing that's and by the way remember the word righteous it means how are you right standing with god and how are you right standing with people and as a judge your job is to stay in right standing with god and to stay in right standing with these people as they're dealing with these conflicts and a bribe or an unfair judge is being deviated off of right and just because they've been coerced to go off the path in favor or one or the other. And like I said, this may sound super obvious, but it's this kind of thing happens all the time. 
We just don't use words like this. It can often be very elegant, the way that we choose the bribes that we accept, the way that we allow, well, what are we going to do if this person's upset and that person donates a lot of money to our church? What are we going to do if that kid is, you know, that kid's parents are like the, you know, the head of the school board? What are we going to do? You don't necessarily take a bribe, but you're influenced off the course of justice by something other than righteousness. We see insight that a leader who is just and righteous is a reflection of God because God is not bribed. God is not moved off of what is just and what is right. Okay, the second group that we're going to spend the most time talking about are kings. In chapter 17, we get this passage starting in verse 14. When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it, and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Already a bad recipe, right? These nations are the nations that just got kicked out. So whenever you find yourself looking around going, man, what these people had seems real nice. I want that. Whenever you do that, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire... This is something we read a few weeks ago. Must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. This is the only place in the first five books of the Bible that is like this passage. Uh, one commentary I read calls it permissive, a permissive command where God is saying, I don't want this to happen, but if you are going to do it, this is how I want you to do it. Isn't that interesting? He literally says, when you get there and you think to yourself, I want to do this thing, which we know God is not a big fan of, this is how I want you to do it. It's kind of one of those interesting things. You know, it's maybe a good example of times where for some of us that are real black and white thinkers, that there is a little bit of this, like when you're trying to do anything, like, where do, how do I manage what God wants me to do in this gray area? Like God doesn't really want us to have a king, but the people want a king, so what should the king look like? It's a great example of this. If you're going to do this, I, God is accepting, Moses is accepting this reality of something that might happen, and he is going to try to, as best he can, say, if you're going to do this, I want you to limit this king's power as much as possible. I want you to put a check on his tax collection and wealth preservation. Do not let him be someone that at the end of the day starts to go, you know what, I just want a little bit more silver, a little bit more gold. I'm going to tax a little bit more. I'm going to hold on to this a little bit more. Because when you do that, the king is going to have power and trust in that instead of Yahweh. Or, and you should, not, you should put a, a check on his military power. I'm going to accumulate these forces so that we can win our battles, so that I'm powerful, so that I don't have to depend on God for my trust, but I can depend on these forces. And then finally, he puts a check. Moses says, put a check on his diplomatic political relations. Um, you might read this and go, wait a second. He doesn't say that. It says, you shouldn't have wives because they might you know, lead you astray. Can I do the right one? Uh, no, okay, here we go. Yeah, it says this part where it says, don't take many wives or his heart may be led astray. I'm going to try to explain this as simply as possible. Every nation back then was a nation where the king and the, and the gods were like the same thing, okay? So for a king to choose a wife from another nation, 
It's not just like, oh yeah, cool, she's going to come over here, she's going to be an Israelite. That nation that you are now trying to be in relationship with, you're trying to get political alliances with, they come with their own set of gods and idol baggage that is now looped into the king. And I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that based on my experience with my one wife, my one wife kind of is the one that likes to decorate the house. She's kind of the one that has a lot of say about what's in my home, right? And so if this king has all these wives from all these different nations coming in that have all been raised to worship all these other gods, you don't happen to think that that might lead his heart astray. Now the king, the king isn't thinking about that. The king is thinking about, well, I gotta get all these political alliances because if Assyria comes and attacks me and I've got a wife from Egypt and an alliance with Egypt, Egypt's gonna come back to me. That make sense? So let's get some Egyptian wives. If I'm afraid of Egypt attacking me, and I, let's, let's get some Assyrian wives so that I'm safe. This is what this all looks like. And so let's keep reading, and I'm going to come back to this king's thing. In verse 18, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll the copy, a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. What we see here in both passages is that it is clear to Moses, if you're going to have a king, which you shouldn't because Israel, their true God, their true king is Yahweh. But if you're going to have it, this person is accountable to four things. To the priests, he's got to get the law from the Levitical priests. They're the ones that are the holders of the law. Two, to the law itself. He is not above this law. Three, to his fellow brothers and sister Israelites. And four, to God, the true king. It, was, it would be very presumptuous for a person to call themselves the king of Israel when everybody knows who their true king is. And that person, if they are going to have that title, knows that they have a responsibility to God, the true king, and to their fellow Israelites. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but I just want you to know there's this little section next on the priests. But for the sake of our sermon, we're not going to read about it because it, it's, it's hard to make it connect with the point I'm trying to make. But there is this big section about another group of people that are leaders of Israel, the priests. And then finally, we get this group of people that is this hybrid this kind of leaders, but mostly not leaders, that are the prophets. So let's read about the prophets. In verse 14 of chapter 18, it says, The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery and divination. All those people you want to emulate by having a king. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you will listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they said is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words, and the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. So don't sign up to be a prophet if you're not sure God's talking. Okay, what I like about this section is, and I got I'm gonna, I have three points about leadership that are 
important. But maybe the coolest part of this sermon is that this is a great place where we get to look at Jesus for a second. Because Paul is going to use this exact passage in Acts. He's going to quote from it. Israel's neighbors believed that they could manipulate the gods and they could interpret they could get the divine world to come and do different things in their world through sorcery and manipulation. That's what he says at the beginning, practice sorcery or divination. And in contrast, for Moses, he's saying, we are not like that because a prophet does not coerce God into telling him what he wants him to say. A prophet is a mouthpiece for God. The prophet doesn't manipulate God, but just waits for God's word. And Moses is telling the people, I have good news for you. You've been following me through the wilderness, and I'm about to die. And you're probably wondering, what's going to happen after we've lost Moses? He's our prophet. And he's saying, don't worry. There will be other prophets who will come, who will speak about God, speak not about God, speak God's words to you after me. And in doing that, he has done this incredible thing where he has set up this idea that I am an imperfect voice of God for you. But there is going to come more voices of God. And we know that there is going to come a perfect prophet who fulfills this, who is the ultimate voice of God. Jesus is the, and, and all the gospel writers really like to lean in on this, Jesus is the new and greater prophet like Moses. The prophet like Moses who will not serve his own purposes, but God's. Who will not be manipulated on how he is going to speak what needs to be spoken, but will speak just what God tells him to speak. The one who brings fulfillment to the covenant. Moses in Deuteronomy is preaching a sermon on here is our covenant with God. And Jesus doesn't come and throw all that in the trash and bring a new covenant. What Jesus does is he says, this covenant, which was good, I have come to fulfill it and bring it to perfection. The one, Jesus is the one who leads us out of our slavery, our deepest slavery, into our true promised land. The one who is this bridge. A prophet is a bridge. A prophet is someone who is a voice from God to the people and a voice from the people to God. And we get the perfect example of this. Jesus, no one is better than Jesus at being the voice of God to people and the voice of the people to God. And so it's just really cool. I just want to pause and say, this is an example of something, if you like these things in Scripture, where as you're reading, as you're studying, and you're asking yourself, I like this stuff, but this stuff just doesn't seem to be like the New Testament. It doesn't seem like Jesus. This is Jesus. This is what he's coming to fulfill. All the things that we see in part, we see clearly in Jesus, and someday we will see in full. Okay, so now, we not only see Jesus in this line of there will be a prophet who's greater than me that's coming, or there will be, God will send another prophet. But it also, all of this that we just read, it gives us three underlying principles to leadership that Moses is expounding on. And I, I would argue that if you want to go here, all three of these things that I'm going to say are things that you see Jesus live out to the nth degree. So here are three underlying principles for leaders. First, leaders are held accountable. Israel's neighbors believe that the kings were divine. So there is no reason why anybody is above those kings. Xerxes, Darius, all these Babylonian kings that we read about, they believe they were a god unto themselves. They believe that their power makes them right. Might, you've heard that before, right? Might makes right. They, uh, a good example, uh, this is a, a funny example, but I've heard a professor say this before, they're like a baseball umpire. A baseball umpire called it a strike, and when you say, that wasn't a strike, they say, I'm the ump. It was a strike. 
well, look, I, I got it on camera. Look, it's outside the box. I'm the ump. It's a strike. Does that make sense? The ump is a law unto themselves, right? <laughs> these kings that all these neighbors had, they had no one that they had to check with. They had no one that they had to be accountable to. But unlike those kings, that's not going to be God's kings, not going to be God's leaders. Checks and balances are not a good idea. They are absolutely necessary. No matter how virtuous a given leader is, he or she has this need to have people in their life that are going to bring correction, that are going to bring advice, and sometimes even opposition. Not because they don't like the leader. Not because, oh, well, the leader's doing a bad job. But because all the leaders are held accountable. I, I, I like to think of it like this. If I believe that I am the authority, then someone coming and challenging me is a problem. But I, if I believe my goal is to do something good, then someone coming and challenging me, my first thought is, does this help the goal? Not, does this hurt my authority? One of the things we see that I like, remember how I told you the prophets, they're in their own category? Yes, they are leaders, but in some ways, what we see through all this, the judges, the kings, the priests, all of them are under the authority of God, under the authority of his word, and under the authority of the prophets, because the prophets are speaking the word of God. You see it throughout scripture. How many times do the prophets go up to the king and go, hey king, uh, we're living outside of what God has desired for us. If the king thinks that they're the ultimate authority and they're not accountable to anybody, they're like, prophet, get out of here. But if they believe, you know what? This is someone speaking the voice of God in me, and I am accountable to the voice of God. They're going to listen. These leaders, I know today there's no such thing as a leader who believes they are above accountability. I know that doesn't exist anymore. But thankfully, we get this reminder that if you want to lead or if you're picking leaders, that you should remember those leaders are always under the authority of God, of their fellow people, of God's word, of uh yeah, of those things. Okay, number two, leaders. They serve the mission. The goal of leaders, as we see from this, is that they are to preserve and enhance the values and mission of the community. God cares about this covenant community going to Israel and living as righteous, just people. We've read, we've had a bunch of sermons already about how much God cares about justice being done among the people. So why do you assign judges? Because those judges are for the purpose of serving that mission of there being justice. Let me say it again. Why do you have judges? Why does this people of Israel need judges? Because that is a leader who is there to enhance the goals of the community. And if your goal, like God's goal is, is that people live in justice and equity, then you need judges to help lead that, to make that happen. Any good leader, in God's eyes, is in their position for the flourishing of the group's purposes. The world thinks that you become a leader so that people will serve you and your purposes and your mission. But in God's kingdom, those who are leaders are there to serve the purposes of the group. In the case of Israel or the church, these are the purposes that God wants leaders there for. To honor God, to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to bear peace, saving the lost, caring for the most vulnerable in our community, building lives of integrity. All of these things are things that are not self-serving. They are community-serving. And so the leaders need to be put in that position to do that role. And then third, leaders attend to their soul. We see this most clearly in the king section wherever it says, if you decide to have a king, that king should not have these three things, and that king needs to take the law and needs to read it every day, all the time. 
Can you imagine how good, it says he needs to copy the law. Can you imagine how well you would know the law if what you did every day is you sat down and you copied it for yourself and then reflected on it and chewed on it? The king is to dwell on God's word constantly. Leaders are to dwell on God's word and to care for their own spiritual lives constantly, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. The wicked are not so. The wicked, but there, you know, when the wind comes, the chaff of the wicked will blow away. Leaders are people who are rooted in God's word. And how does a leader, how, how is it that whenever these leaders are in their place, how are these kings going to know what to do? All of us have been in situations where we've had to decide, what is it that I should do? God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And we've had to decide, should I do this or this? And we sit there and we go, I want to do what God wants me to do. That would be a good leader thing to do. How do we know what God wants me to do? Well, I believe, it's not a perfect science, but I believe that the more you are in God's word and the more you are leaning on the Holy Spirit to help you, the more your decisions will look like God's decisions. And the less connected you are to the life source of the living water, the less your decisions will look like God's decisions. You with me? Does that make sense? This is maybe a good example of this would be if I was trying to decide if, if I was trying to decide something really nice to do for Catherine, I should talk to the person who spends the most time with Catherine because they're going to have the best insight of what she would like and appreciate for a gift, right? Is it because that person is, you know, more special? No, it's because they're with Catherine more. So whenever we go, there's this, this famous history of, have you ever heard the phrase desert fathers and mothers? These are men and women who, they were so disgusted by the culture that they ran away to the desert and they wanted they were like i just want to be in, in the desert in a cave with god there's some really weird stories but they basically and guess what people would come from miles to talk to them because they the way they saw it, they were like this person is literally sitting out here all the time just praying and reflecting on god if anybody is going to maybe know what i should do in this situation it's someone that's that keyed in and plugged in to what their time with god that makes sense okay so i'm going to finish by saying this if I were to ask you about godly leaders, the three things that I just tried to lay out are that they are held accountable and that they serve and that they attend to their soul. And if I were to tell you what most worldly leaders look like, I would tell you that they are the three opposite things. They have no accountability, no one that they have to check with before they make their decision. It's all what they want, when they want it. Two, they don't serve, they manipulate to be served. The system doesn't exist to serve. The system exists to serve them. And then the third thing I'd say is they don't attend to their soul. They attend to their image. They attend to their outward appearance. How does this make me look good? How does leading in this way maybe help me get that promotion? How does leading in this way maybe help me run for that? Or how does they are always looking for how does this serve me and how does it serve my image? Whereas the leader of God, everything's the opposite. They are completely accountable. They exist only to serve. They exist so that they don't, they don't work on their image. They work on their inner heart and their soul. From the beginning, God has been turning things upside down. It's not just Jesus who turns everything upside down. First shall be last. It's always been here from Genesis. If you ever hear anything about leadership, and here's my, my little plea to you. If you ever watch a leadership YouTube podcast, a podcast, YouTube video, any movie, you know, like that's a true leader there. Be skeptical. Okay, have your skeptical lens on because leadership from God is a master class in service and humility. 
If you want to look at the greatest leader in the world, Jesus Christ, who led the greatest movement that's ever been around, it was someone who completely and totally tried not to lead and tried completely and totally to serve and to be the one who washes feet. And so my hypothesis is, if you want to lead, you have already missed the point of leadership. If you want to serve, then God might have something he can do for you where he can use you to help people and you might just happen to find yourself having people following you. When the devil came to Jesus and tempted him, he said, I can make you king of the whole world. You can be the greatest leader ever. And Jesus didn't go, well, I'm actually already am the greatest leader ever. What he said was, that's not why I came, but I came to serve. And as he only cared about serving, and as he only cared about being accountable to God, and as he only cared about his inner life and not his outer accolades, he found himself in a position with 12 men and 72 men and all millions of people over generations saying, I want to follow him. Okay? So if any of you would like to know more about what it means to make Christ the leader of your life, if any of you would like a master class and I want to be a great leader, then the beginning of that is laying down yourself and laying down what you want. And what we do in our faith is the beginning of our faith in Jesus is about surrendering yourself so that you can begin a new life of following him. And if any of you would like to know, learn more about that, I'd love to talk with you. And if any of you have any prayer requests, there are going to be elders standing at the doors while we stand and sing this song.